everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, there was a so-called religious expert. He was a so-called expert in the scriptures, in the law of Moses, the Torah, a so-called expert in God, as it were, who poses a question to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Initially, it has the illusion that he is sincerely wanting to be taught by Jesus. And that he's humbly listening to what Jesus is going to say. But it becomes very evident very quickly, though, that when he asks this question of Jesus, that it's really a loaded question. It's designed as a trap where no matter what Jesus says, he's trying to make it so that the wire snap in a guillotine comes crashing down on Jesus' neck. And at last, they can have grounds for accusation against him. And they can cry, gotcha. And so with a pompous, wolfish grin, the lawyer or the so-called expert asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so we read in Luke chapter 10, starting in the 30th verse, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. And yet then in verse 33, Jesus says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. We're celebrating the diamonds in the rough of the scriptures, of how often those rejecting Jesus and antagonizing the kingdom of heaven were the so-called religious experts and the so-called religious, righteous people. And how often those who embraced Jesus and who received his kingdom with a child's heart were the misfits, the outcasts, were the pariahs, were the so-called pagans and the so-called dregs of society. Well, the religious guru asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Well, you and I hear that word neighbor and we think of Mr. Rogers. We think of the people who live next door to us who, who um, annoy us sometimes. Who we want to turn the hose on as we leave for work and we see them outside in their lawn. But when the first century Jewish world heard this, what they would have heard in this expression, though, 
is who is my countryman? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my beloved friend? Who am I to show God's kindness towards? And the way that conventional wisdom had answered that question for generations was, well, our neighbors are the people who we choose to like. It's the people who worship exactly the way that we do. It's the people, you know, it's whoever agrees with everything that I've got to say. That, that's who my neighbor is. And the clear implication is, is that anybody who I do not like, anybody who happens to disagree with me, well, that's not my neighbor. And in fact, they're my enemy. And I am well justified under God to hate that person. That's what the perception was at the time for, for a very long while at that. And yet this is one of those mindsets, those, those prime mindsets that, that Jesus transcended. As he comes into this world and he shows us that there is such a better way to be human. And you know, this is where the parable of the Good Samaritan, as we know it as, this is where it comes from. Well, other than the parable of the prodigal son, this is the, the best known parable that Jesus ever told. Even in this postmodern world, we have hospitals named Good Samaritan Hospital. On the five o'clock news, all the time, we hear about what Good Samaritans who were doing beautiful acts of kindness towards others. And yet, as I have been finding in my own individual Christian life, it's the passages that I have a familiarity with the most that I find myself understanding and misunderstanding the most and completely missing what Jesus is saying. If our only takeaways from this particular parable is helping somebody push a broken down car into a Texaco or doing our annual good deed for the year, we are completely missing what Jesus is inviting us to become as human beings. Because anybody who reads verse 33 with Jewish eyes and with the Jewish understanding, reads this and we think, this is inflammatory. This is provocative imagery that Jesus is using. Because as soon as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, this lawyer and anybody else who was standing there as Jesus had been teaching, they begin to tighten up all over. Faces constrict into glares. Hands ball up into fists. Blood begins boiling. Where once again, as Jesus lapses into a parable, he's not telling some cute bedtime story to pass the time. But rather what he's doing is he's slapping the gloves on, he's got the mask on, and he's performing open soul surgery. Because Jesus is inserting into his story a person who they absolutely detested. 
It's no secret whatsoever in the Gospels that, that Jewish people spat on the ground that Samaritans walked upon. And maybe even more, Samaritans spat on the ground that Jewish people walked upon. As we read elsewhere in the Gospels, the two had no dealings with each other whatsoever. Well, in Jerusalem, Samaritans were hated for all kinds of reasons. Samaritans were not full-blooded Jewish people. There was a lot of intermarriage going on between the Samaritans and us Gentiles, and so they were looked down upon as being just how they were looked down upon was being mutts. You're not like us. You're something else. You're you're not, you know, you're you're subhuman is how they looked at them. Adding insult to injury, though. The Samaritans built a rival temple on one of their mountains in Samaria. And they said, that building over in Jerusalem, that is not the temple of God anymore. This is God's true dwelling place over here. It got a little bit worse even after that, where a little bit later on, a group of Samaritans had defiled the, um, the temple in Jerusalem, bringing dead man's bones inside and defiling it. And so as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, at first they're probably not even hearing what Jesus is saying after that because all that's running through their minds is, okay, that guy is not our neighbor. In fact, he's not even a human being. He is an animal. He's not one of us, but rather he's one of them. And yet I love the way that Jesus responds to emotionally charged, loaded questions. He doesn't respond with aggression. He doesn't respond yes or no, but rather the way that Jesus responds is once upon a time. Where he paints the picture of this man who is traveling on a very dangerous road that everybody who heard this had traveled many times before. It's about 20 miles in length. It's got a lot of dips to it. It's got these deep canyons, which were the perfect place for robbers to jump someone, beat them to a pulp, and then hide out. And sure enough, in Jesus' story, somebody else has just been mugged. They've been beaten to a pulp, and they've been left to him dead on the side of this road. And yet, as luck would have it, though, even though he's, he's been in a very unfortunate circumstance, at the same time, this man is very fortunate because at the very moment that he needs somebody, here comes, of all people, a priest. We would think this man is in luck because a priest, after all, is an extremely important religious individual. He's just spent multiple days, maybe even weeks, leading services in the temple. If anybody would have seen this guy and rushed to his aid, it would have been this priest. And yet the twist to the story is, is that the priest sees this man in need and he just whistles a sprightly tune, looks the other way, pretends that he never saw him, and he leaves him to die alone in the gutter. 
I don't know, maybe he's afraid that he might be attacked next. And what goes and what rushes through his mind is, I better get home as soon as possible. And yet more possibly, though, most likely what is going through his mind, though, is that I just spent two weeks away from my home in the temple leading and ministering services. I'm halfway home as it is. I've been walking for a very long time. I am absolutely exhausted. If I stoop down and I get this man's blood all over my hands, I'm going to be considered ceremonially unclean. Which would mean that I would have to turn around with this guy, go all the way back into Jerusalem, spend a week becoming ceremony, or um, spend a week becoming clean. And so with a sigh of, of disgust, he's just like, forget it. I, I got to get home. This guy is too much of an inconvenience for me right now. And so he steps over him and just keeps walking. Well, even though the priest has denied this, this man assistance, I mean, again, he's in luck because a Levite happens to walk by. This is the assistant to the priest who just passed by. He's also a very highly respected religious person. If anybody would show the kindness of God, it would be him. And yet, as Jesus says, he too walks by on the other side of the road, leaving the man to die alone. And yet, I imagine before Jesus says anything else, I can almost imagine this this lawyer cutting Jesus off, saying, okay, Jesus, (laughs) okay, just... Just give me a minute, Rabbi. Okay. I hate to spoil your um, grand ending, but okay, so the priest and the Levite showed no help to him whatsoever. But no offense, but it's so predictable what you're going to say. Because clearly the very next person is going to be an even more highly respected religious person. Is it going to be the Pharisee? Is it going to be the high priest Caiaphas himself? Clearly, he's going to give him help. What's your point, Jesus? This is equally as shocking and direct as Jesus saying earlier that that the tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom of heaven ahead of the Pharisees. This is that all over again. Where unbeknownst to this lawyer and even to his own apostles, Jesus says, but a Samaritan. The Samaritan sees him, shows compassion. And in doing so, what Jesus is very intentionally and deliberately doing is he's making the religious status quo the villains in his story. And he's making the hated Samaritan the hero and the example of how to live with the kingdom of God in your soul. You see, all three saw this man bleeding to death. But when this last man, when the Samaritan sees the exact same thing the others did, it does something very different to him. Jesus said, and he felt. Unlike the others, Jesus felt something 
in his heart. This, this Samaritan felt something, and what that something was, was compassion. Nine years ago, when depression had beaten me and left me to bleed out in a ditch alone, I was amazed at the volume of religious people who were who knew exactly what was going on in my life, but who were saying, you know, David, I've never been depressed before myself, so you shouldn't be depressed either. Who, who I overheard saying, you know, he, he just doesn't believe in God the way that I do. A fellow minister who went on a podcast and, and spoke hypothetically about my exact situation and said that, He just doesn't believe in God at all. He's not even a Christian anymore. People saying, you know, you just need to man up. You need to get tough. You need to do some push-ups. You need to understand that there's people who have worse pain than you do, so that nullifies what you're going through. And just walked right over me. While it was people at that exact same season in my life who had never set foot in a cathedral in their life. People who didn't know the words to amazing grace. People who used four-letter words when they were at work. People who didn't even know what was going on in my life, but, but who looked at me and said, Hey, is everything okay in your life? Is something wrong? Who put their shoulder on, or who, um, who put their hand on my shoulder and said, I want to help you because I know how that feels like. It was a recovering cocaine addict living in the streets, a guy who reeked of tobacco and had tattoos on his face who gave me a two-minute hug as he prayed and we wept on each other's shoulders. And he said, I know how that feels. All I can tell you is it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be over overnight. But if you just keep getting back up and following Jesus anyway, then, you're, then you and I are going to get through this together. And when I got home from that experience that day, I, I went into my closet and I pulled this shirt that I'm wearing out. It was a brand new shirt back then. And I ripped a button out right here. And that was when I started wearing mismatched socks. I've got socks that has a cow getting zapped up by a UFO, for crying out loud. On the other one, I've got a gnome saying, what's up, gnomey? Stupid, right? But I started doing this stuff as a result of that so that I wouldn't get too comfortable or too civilized in the stained glass windows. I saw something in the streets outside of the stained glass windows in the smoking section of society that made me want to bring that into the stained glass windows. Because there was very little of that kind of response within it. 
Well, I tell that story, but the reality is, though, that I've, yeah, I, I've been the guy in the gutter, but far more times than not, I've been the guy stepping over the guy in the gutter. Or dare I even say, stepping on the guy in the gutter as I went my own selfish way. You see, I love this Samaritan that Jesus speaks about because rather than running away from this man, the, the Samaritan runs to him. And he bandages his cuts. He stops the bleeding. Maybe even he takes the clothes off of his own body and he puts it on this poor man, lays him on his donkey, brings him into town, puts him inside an inn, stays with him as long as he possibly can. This is not the story of a guy doing his good deed for the year on Facebook. But rather, this guy is putting his whole entire life on hold. Where as soon as he sees him, his life is no longer about himself, but it becomes all about how can I show the kindness of God to this poor man? He sees him, and with creative imagination, he he ponders to himself, if that were me lying in the gutter right now, then how would I want to be attended to? He's so mesmerized by the thought of it that he doesn't even see his embittered enemy as the Samaritan sees this person. He doesn't even care that as a Samaritan bringing a half-dead Jew into Jerusalem, that he's going to be blamed for that. There are all, all kinds of people who are going to be saying, what did you do to that guy? And he doesn't care that by doing so, he will be risking his life by walking into enemy territory in that way. This is no small thing. This is lavish, sacrificial compassion. Where he sees an enemy of his lying in the gutter, but when he looks into his face as he lapses into unconsciousness, he looks into that face and it's as if he's looking at his grandmother. And he's heartbroken at the sight of it that, that he stays with this guy all night long. You see, he's going the second, he's going the third, he's going the fourth, and the fifth mile, loving his neighbor as himself. And then in the text, we see the same kind of stuff that we saw with, with Zacchaeus a couple of weeks ago. As he hands the innkeeper even more money and, sit, and says more or less, you know, I, I, I actually have to get going now, but listen, take care of him. And if there's any further expenditures, I just want you to charge it to me. I'll take care of it, okay? I find it very interesting that I read some time ago about a sign that had been excavated from an inn in this era, in this region. And at least according to this finding, a night's stay in an ancient inn in this time was a 32nd of a denarius. Very, 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 very cheap. And yet in verse 35, though, it says that he took out two coins in addition to what he's already spent. And he gives it to the innkeeper. 
You see, what this means is that if a 32nd of a denarius was anywhere near the price of a stay in the inn in, in this time, this guy is paying for his enemy to spend an upwards to one to two months in this inn. And very likely as a person who was living hand to mouth. And so he's more than likely a lot like a widow who, who gave of her might. It was all that she had more or less. You see, the priest and the Levite's question was, what is going to happen to me if I help this guy? Or as what the Samaritan asked himself was, what is going to happen to this other person if I do not get involved and help him? The priests and the Levites see the man as, as a burden and as an annoying inconvenience. Where the Samaritan looks at him and sees nothing but a human being, a soul, and a beloved friend. And of all people in that society, it is a Samaritan who Jesus uses to answer the age-old debate, and who is my neighbor? Where the very clear and emphatic answer is, neighbors aren't just people who we choose to like. Neighbors aren't just people who we agree with or, or who worship exactly the way that we do. But rather, if it is a person who is made in the image of the living God, that's our neighbor. That's our neighbor. What Jesus is revealing and, and inviting us to is, is a mindset and a heart set that says there is no more us and them, there is only us. And something else that is very interesting to me about this, and where this really begins hitting close at home as I read this, is that clearly this isn't just a Jewish and a Samaritan problem, is it? This is a human problem. This is a parable that challenges and confronts whoever hears it. If it's me, if it's you, every generation really struggles with this. To Chinese grandfathers, it would read, but a Japanese officer. To a Ukrainian woman, it would read, but a Russian soldier. To African Americans living in the 1960s in Mississippi, it would be but a white country boy. To white country boys living in the 1960s, it would be but a black panther. To progressive Americans, it would read but a guy with a MAGA hat. To conservative Americans, it would read but a Muslim with a turban on his head. Whoever we have trouble thinking positive thoughts about, seeing the humanity in, Jesus is saying, but that person was the one who showed compassion. We might imagine a man driving home from Philadelphia to Westchester. He drives on the wrong road. He gets lost, kind of. He comes to a red light where not a whole lot of people are, and he gets jumped. He gets beaten to a pole, pistol-whipped, 
and left to die alone in a gutter. When by chance a minister from the local Methodist church is driving by in his nice car and he sees the guy, he's like, whoa, what's going on over there? But the light turns green and you know where he goes? He just keeps driving. And yet as luck would have it, as he continues lying there rolling around in his own blood, a deacon and the minister from the Church of Christ comes driving by on the way to lunch or something. They see this guy, but they too just look the other way and they just keep driving en route to Arby's. But a woman in a burqa, but an illegal alien, but our least favorite state representative, Lord have mercy, sees them springs from their car, runs to them, stops the bleeding, puts them in their car, runs every red light getting to the hospital and says, take care of this guy. Whatever charge it is, I will take care of it. How are we feeling about this parable now? It's not quite as easy as us reading but a Samaritan with our American eyes, is it? You see, yet again, what we see is whether it is love or it's repentance. God's kindness being shown to a neighbor is something that is expressed in action. James says, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. And in our text, in verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer, a question of his own, where he says, which of these three people do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And now with the tables turned, this this wolfish, pompous lawyer now has to say out loud in front of everybody, well, the one who showed mercy the one who proved himself to be a child of God is the last guy. I'm sorry, it was who? It was the last guy. Sorry, I can't hear you. Who was it? It was the last guy. Well, who was the last guy? Jesus, you asked too many questions. The guy who showed mercy was the guy who I detest, okay? We might say, yeah, but David, this is a parable. I mean, you, you understand that these aren't real people, right? These are just fictitious personalities Jesus is using to, to wield a story and to teach us all a lesson. Well, many years ago, um, Disney began remaking their classic cartoons into live action films. And so you may remember Beauty and the Beast. I think they did Jungle Book, maybe even Aladdin. And now one by one, the cartoons began to come to life with real people playing them on the screen. In the latter part of verse 37, Jesus says to the lawyer, he says to me this morning, he says to you, 
And now go and do the same. You see, he's telling this lawyer, he's telling his apostles as they listen, he's telling us this morning in his church, now go and bring the cartoon to life. Be the Samaritans who bring the the grace of God off of the page, out of the parable, into this world before people's very eyes and show them what the kingdom of God is all about. And yet as a person who is in recovery of being selfish, who's trying to learn how to live in this way, I think we've all discovered this isn't easy. This is something that is a lot easier to resist. But I just want to ask us this morning, are we willing to be inconvenienced? Are we willing to look at people no longer the way that we've always looked at them, but to let God change the way that we see them? Are we all right with our daily routine being disrupted? And to learn this art of lavish, extravagant compassion. And you know, sometimes it is extra nights in the inn, and it's money. And yet it's not always money, is it? Sometimes all that it is is just a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ. Other times, it is a 10-minute phone call to a widow. It's looking into somebody's eyes in the streets and helping them rediscover what dignity feels like in their hearts. But it all begins with, with a very honest question, who are my Samaritans? And who are your Samaritans? Who do we have no positive thoughts toward in the world? Who do we find ourselves getting a little too ecstatic when we see them failing and being put in their place? Whoever our Samaritans are, I just want to challenge us really quickly this morning. I want us to pray for these people out loud by name every day. And to implore God for his richest blessings in their life. But especially what I want to invite us to is to pray and to meditate for opportunities where God, please bring opportunities, please bring people who I don't understand into my life so that I can show them your kindness and your lavish grace. Maybe I'm nuts, but I've said that many times, by the way, but (laughs) especially to Amanda. But maybe if we went through our, our days and our lives looking for the opportunities, maybe we wouldn't be so caught off guard by them in the heat of the moment when they arise. And so the invitation to us all this morning is, and now... Go and let us do likewise. Let us go and be the Samaritan 
who sees even his enemy, but who sees a soul in need and nothing but a soul in need. And let us bring the cartoon now to life.